0: All right, everybody, welcome back to Artsy Fartsy Immigrants. I'm your host, Jordan Prince, and this is the 12 Songs for 12 Friends Breakdown, Part 4. So last week we talked a little bit about uh, track 9 and 10. No, sorry, track tracks 8 and 9. Cruise Street, which is one of the two interludes with the voices of the people that the songs are about. And number 9, Count On Me, uh, which is the song for my friend Bruno. So onwards to number 10, which is uh, for me one of the more important... Well, it's hard to say which songs are more important than others because that would include some sort of bias, which for this track, for this album, I really don't have any bias um, as to what song feels more important or, or I think the only bias I might have is coming from a musician's perspective, like which, you know, performance or style of the song came out the best uh, that it could. And there's definitely, um, it's the plural of bias biases. There's definitely some biases there. Um, like for example, track 11, great big light just didn't quite, I, it just wasn't quite the song that I, um, intended it to be in the end, but, um, all the other ones, I mean, I just love them. So anyway, let's go on to number 10, uh, important in, in the way that, um, I was kind of looking forward to getting to this song and there's another one later, uh, number 13 that I'm interested in getting to, but, uh, where will we go from here? Um, this song is for, and about my friend Cody Hopper, and I actually, um, you know, our journey sort of twinkles through other songs on this album in a way, um, because you know he's he his voice is on Cruise Street, um, he's the guy who was with Shannon in her story from track six, High School. Uh, you know, that, that whole jealousy story that came from Cody and then later on track 13, far too thin. Um, you know, Cody and I were the ones who, who I think, I don't know, out of a small group of maybe five or 10 really developed into the people that we, or, or, or started becoming who we were always going to be because of top shelf records. And I'm going to get into all that later, but oh my God, Jordan, stay on track. So where will we go from here? Um, This is a song for my friend Cody, and it's one of, I I believe it's the only person for the album who ended up um, coincidentally getting two songs. I think at some point I'm gonna properly record and release Cody's other song, which was the original draft for this album. But for some reason, I went with this one. I think because lyrically it's stronger, and I think because uh, musically it's more intimate. And there is sort of a beauty in my nostalgia feeling for the times that I've spent with Cody, especially during high school. Um, I'll just look at the lyrics here. We can go down in a row. So the first line is, wasting our time, sharing a mind full of dreams. Um, I really liked just how the smooth, short thing of wasting our time, sharing a mind full of dreams. Um, You know, we're both extremely aspirational people. We were both at the time very much black sheep in this town, Um, hyper creative. We were passionate about music and film to an extent that we didn't really fit in with a lot of people in town. We were these hyper, you know, nerdy people who were hungry for bigger cities and hungry for a bigger world and um, more culture, more art, more, Experience And you just can't get that in this little Mississippi town. Um, so we, yeah, wasting our time. We played so many funny games at my house. We would always sit up in my bedroom with my strobe light and blast, I don't know, red hot chili peppers or something. And like do a dance video, like way before TikTok on my old uh, DVD handy cam. <laughs> and uh <coughs> No, sorry, I didn't even have a DVD handycam. I had one. I had tape. I had a digital camcorder, but it recorded onto small um, tape uh, tapes, which is crazy. That uh, <laughs> sorry, I, I have hiccups and I have a sore throat uh, and I have a cough. So this is going to be a very exciting uh, episode for the sensitive listeners out there. Sorry, there it is again. Damn it. Um. Wasting our time sharing a mind full of dreams. Um, yeah, I felt like we were very much the same kind of person, same kind of person. Oh my God. Let me try and get rid of these hiccups. Hold on. Gonna Try and do the whole hold your breath, drink something. Excuse me. Apologies. You're wondering why didn't he edit that out? Why didn't he stop recording and get rid of the hiccups? And then come back to recording and we be none the wiser. Well, like I've said before, I don't pull back the curtain on this show. This is the raw deal, people. Um, Yeah, so, yeah, I felt very much like minded with Cody. We were really drawn to each other. And in a way, probably very much in love with each other. Um, Not in anything, uh, not, not in any sort of like physical, like crossing it over into like anything romantic. But like in love with just who the person was, you know, and I still feel that way. The next line is chat and a smoke riff on a joke endlessly. So endlessly rhymes, this like a slant rhyme with dreams. So you have wasting our time sharing a mind. There's your A rhyme, full of dreams, B. Then chat and a smoke riff on a joke. There's your B and then with endlessly back, which rhymes back with dreams, uh, back to the, or sorry, that's your C and then endlessly and dreams is back to your B. Whatever, uh, it rhymes. And I'm just proud of how it came out chat and a smoke riff on a joke endlessly so yeah cody and i i mean we we uh would talk late nights on the phone for hours we would watch a movie top shelf records had this had this film rental deal um back during the hype of like movie gallery and blockbuster that was top shelf it was this small store in my hometown which i will be talking about a lot and often do and they had seven movies for $7 for seven days. Unbelievable. And Todd had an eclectic collection of eclectic collection of films in this little shop. You know, he had all the new releases. Um, if the new, you know, Mission Impossible or, you know, James Bond came out, yeah, he'd go get like, I don't know, seven or eight copies and rent that. But he also had just a crazy collection of really, really interesting um artistic cultured foreign like documentaries and indie films and winners of like the Cannes Film Festival and the Toronto Film Festival and Sundance and that's where I discovered all these incredible movies you know like um like blow uh, blow up um also blow which is also a great movie but like blow up or breathless or um um sexy lucia and uh, Buffalo 66, Little Miss Sunshine. Thank you for smoking. Um, I don't know. I mean, just everything that isn't like a top summer blockbuster hit. Um, he had it. And so you really just get into this, this crazy urge of like, what is, what is this? I've never seen this before. Never heard of this before. And you would spiral down these crazy paths of interesting, like Vim Vendors and, um, Oh, what's his name from Melancholia? and antichrist, um, Lars von Trier and he had Devar, and he had, um, oh man, um, uh, David Lynch, you know, he had all these really amazing, um, Michelle Gondry, like this journey of just amazing filmmakers from around the world. And that really opened up my eyes to like, Oh, I've never seen Hitchcock. Let's go watch all the Hitchcock movies that Todd has, you know? And so, um, Cody and I would, yeah, chat about all these movies and talk about all these movies a lot and um, stand at the gazebo downtown near the train tracks and just stupidly smoke cigarettes, you know, b- you know, after or whatever, during our lunch break or after work at this furniture store. And um, riff on a joke endlessly. I mean, that's, that's like quintessential what we are. Like, that's what our friendship is. That's what um, Cody and I always... We're known for, I mean, that's, that's what I think about the most, uh, in terms of just the fun things we did was, I mean, we would never let a punchline end. And if we hang out today, it's, it still happens sometimes where you think of a funny scenario based on something someone said, and then it escalates and escalates and escalates until you just can't do anything else with it until we just beat it, beat it to death. Uh, and sometimes you just get the most hilarious things that you can never explain to somebody, and I love that. And so then it goes into the first chorus. Where will we go from here? I don't know, but we're on a roll and I'm not afraid. So not a really clear rhyme pattern here, but it works with the melody. Um, And interesting enough, I always felt like this song came out very gospel-y. I feel like this song would be easily played in a church if you had different lyrics. You know, this main, this main thing with the, Piano, let me find it here. You know, like, I feel like that could be played while people are being called down to the altar in a church. And everybody, please put your hands in the air. Get, turn into turn to Psalm 52. If you're feeling the Lord in the house today, please don't shy away. Accept Christ in your hearts. Come on down the aisle. Got brother Carl here. He's gonna lead you to lead you to salvation. Got sister Catherine. He's gonna take you down. You know, it's like. I don't know. It just feels so churchy. And maybe that stems from being raised in church, being raised in a Baptist church. You you had these kinds of old fashioned hymns that you'd sing all the time. And I, some of them I really liked like when the roll is called up yonder, 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 I'll be there. That's so old, you know, it's from forever ago. And like, that kind of music also kind of seeped into movies like Oh Brother Where Art Thou, which my parents loved. We watched that a million times. And maybe that stuff is kind of why Where Will We Go From Here has this sort of churchy sound. It, it, it is like church, you know, and we, we came from a very small southern, very highly Christian uh, town. Everybody we knew, everybody's family went to church, whether it was Methodist or Baptist or whatever, but everyone went to church. So it kind of makes sense to me if I reflect on it that way. Um, And the lyrics in this course are really straightforward. You know, where are we gonna go from here? Our friendship has been through so much. Um, And now, you know, at at this point I had moved, I had already lived in New Orleans for years. So we had a lot of separation already. Then, you know, I wrote this record when um, I wrote Cody's, I wrote Cody's song on a vacation. This will sound so pretentious, but it's still like, for me, a really great memory. I wrote Cody's song on someone else's guitar on a vacation in France. Like my only vacation I've ever, ever, my only time really in France, was on this vacation with Ify's family. And I was just, you know, everyone wanted to do their own thing. It was just one of those afternoons. Oh, you guys are gonna read and take naps by the pool. You guys wanna play Settlers of Catan. I'm not into board games. I don't really wanna read right now. What I wanna do is I wanna play music. And so, you know, somebody brought a guitar, uh, as sometimes people do that on vacations. They'll just, you know, bring an old acoustic in the back of the bus. And I had it sitting on this sofa on the second floor of this uh, rented house, looking out over the hillside at the ocean. And it was just so beautiful and like mystical and so European and sexy and just like, ah, so alive and wonderful and calming, very calming. And, this melody came, this dum, dum 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 da da dum, and I don't know. Somehow that's where Cody's song came, and I wrote the whole thing there on that couch in that one sitting. I'm pretty sure, um, or I had most of it at least. And it just yeah. So I had moved to New Orleans. Now I've already moved in ger- to, to, to Germany for years. Where are we gonna go from here? I don't know. But hey, you and me, we're on a roll. We're doing great. We still talk all the time and I'm not afraid. I'm not afraid of what's going to change or what's going to happen because I'm not worried about, you know, we can, if we can handle this much distance, we can handle anything. So that's definitely, um, kind of the key message of that. Next verse is, um, showing up late every place that we go, which this line showing up late every place that we go, um, is sort of just a tool i'm using it's not as if cody and i really always showed up late to everything we did yeah sometimes we were late for work uh at the furniture store because we would screw off in the delivery trucks and go i don't know do do something stupid and sometimes we showed up late for work sometimes we um we worked two different jobs together like cody got me a job at two different places One was the first Sweet Peppers Deli that I worked at. I worked at a second one, which was like awesome (laughs) uh, in Louisiana. But the first one was in our hometown. He got me a job there. It was a deli. I worked at the front counter and we were so obnoxious as a duo that they stopped scheduling us together and uh, we didn't get to work together too much after that. And then Cody left there. I worked there a bit longer and then he was across the street at Casabella Furniture, which is no longer there. And he got me a job there because it was more money and it was not making sandwiches and using the cash register. And this was a very labor heavy job. Like we, you know, we kind of like kind of put on the tough, uh, this like this sort of tough image every once in a while, you know, we worked with like these dudes, just like these gruff dudes. Um, one of which was this guy named Chad Jolly, who is an enigma that I will never be able to understand. He's like this beautiful mind, uh, like, I don't know, this Neil in a haystack type of person who's got such an, a broad and vast understanding and memory about film and culture and art and music. Uh, and he's got good taste and he's, he's got such a um, photographic memory for these types of things. And he's hilarious, like a very well-crafted jokesman. Uh, but there he was, just some like big, tall, brute, brute force you know delivery truck manager and it was just like what are you doing here what are you doing here you should have a much different job Uh, and you know he loved his wife they were very sweet to each other and she worked at the front of the building at the sale on the sales floor and anyway besides him we worked with these really just tough gruff dudes uh ray and skeet and art boogie and (laughs) carl that's a whole different story man (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> Carl, oh man okay i mean yeah, i can't even i can't um but we uh yeah we showed up late but it, i'm using this line as sort of a uh, a rhyme it's a truth but it's also not so important because i'm using it to get to the next line which is all of the tapes drew and the plays we put on so showing up late every place that we go all of the tapes drew and the plays we put on, so I wanted to have a play on words, and I wanted it to rhyme again the same way, and that's why, um, that first line's really there, um, but all of the tapes that refers to, yeah, I had this you know um tape digit this digital digital to tape sort of camera, which is crazy that i and my mom still had it the last time I visited uh one of the last times I visited, and what we did was I took all the tapes. I gave them to a friend in New Orleans who digitized them, who watched all of them, digitized them to a Google Drive file. And then I took some of the best moments to my friend Bruno, uh, who I mentioned in the last episode, and he and I cut the video for my song Simple Swimmer to these tapes. So actually, if you want to see, I mean, we really screwed with the footage. We put a lot of effects on it and cut it all funky and weird to make it interesting, But if you want to see the footage, some of the footage from my teen years with Cody in my high school, uh, in my childhood home, you can actually go to my YouTube and watch the video for "Simple Swimmer." Um, Funny, it's it's so weird, but I love it. I'm so glad I used that footage for that. Uh, Drew, just the name Drew, and only a couple of people uh, would even know who I'm talking about when I just say that one name. That's why. Uh, really, the attention to detail on like how specific these songs are to the people is so, um, it, it was so much work. <laughs> I hope, you know, some people don't really see that, but it was a lot. Um, uh, Drew is, of course, referring to a singer-songwriter that you should definitely go listen to a couple of his albums, at least, I can recommend on Spotify. His name is Drew Danbury. D-A-N-B-U-R-R-Y, Drew, D-R-E-W. Drew Danbury, um, huge inspiration for me and Cody in uh, a certain phase of our teen years. He was just somebody that we thought was going to blow up. Um, In retrospect, when I go back and listen to his music, um, it doesn't have the same professional quality that I thought it did when I was a teenager, but it's still special. It's still its own thing. Um, And he's changed his sound a lot over the years and made a lot of different decisions about what kind of music he wants to do and stepping out of the spotlight and having a family and all these things. Uh, But Drew Danbury for a while was this young guy uh, from Utah, and he was like the definition indie musician for us. And we idolized him. We had all of his CDs. Um, We like always got everything. The moment that it came out, we always searched and Googled like, oh, he's got a new YouTube video. Oh, he has a new song. Um, and we were lucky enough that, you know, one time he toured through, he toured twice in my hometown, which should have been, that should have been a cue for me that he wasn't like a huge artist because the first place he played was the patio outside of a pizza joint. But for me, I was like, why aren't there 10,000 people here? This is unbelievable. And he played unplugged, uh, uh, and he played with a band also. I think this, I forgot the name of the band that toured with him. I think they played after or before him. And it was next to the train tracks. So occasionally the train would just like burst through their set and you couldn't hear anything anymore. And they would either stop or just like power through. And I filmed that on my little VHS camera. I filmed like the whole performance and I, I would re watch it. I would go home and I would watch the performance over and over. I think that was one of the rare times Cody could not be there with me. I think he had to work uh, or he had something else going on. And then Drew Danbury also came back around another time a couple of years later when we had turned Top Shelf Records into half a, record, a half record DVD store, half a music venue. We had finally convinced Todd and, and pushed him enough to let us play music there. And I was playing there like every other weekend. I had my acoustic sets there. I had my rock band there. I had another project with Cody, uh, the Warehouse Junkies. And we had, um, which is like so obvious why we called ourselves that, (laughs) working at a furniture store warehouse. (laughs) Um, And we uh, had a lot of bands coming through. I was booking. I was helping Todd run the door sometimes. I was trying to help sort of like, I don't know. I felt very much responsible for that, for those things to go well. And thankfully, I don't remember there ever being too much of an issue. I think everyone paid their ticket. There was never any fights or anything. Uh, He didn't serve alcohol. So it didn't really, you know, it couldn't go crazy there. Um, But, man, we sold the hell out of those Jones sodas. I'll tell you that. I missed that. Oh, man. I missed going to Top Shelf on a lunch break and getting myself a Green Apple Jones soda. Man, special times. Special times. Um, Anyway, so, yeah, that's Drew. He's this musician who we idolized. He played in my hometown. And I actually had some correspondence with Drew this year, I believe. Maybe it was late last year. No, maybe it was this year. Anyway, I had some some correspondence with him, um, sort of out of the blue. I think I wrote him um, to see if he'd be interested in... in, uh, Maybe he wrote... I think he wrote me to say that he enjoyed the album Simple Swimmer kind of randomly, um, and we started talking about maybe doing something together. I think we have some rough recordings we shared with each other, but nothing's come to fruition. Um, But this year I had a real slow um, draw back into recording things, so... Let's see where that goes. But that's who Drew is. Uh, big, played a big role in our teen years. Uh, and the last part of that line is, and the plays we put on. So, you know, we, had, we came up with sketches and characters. One of our most commonly recurring sketch ideas was that Cody Hopper was like this perfect super specimen and that i jordan this chubby teenager was um very confident but incapable of doing what he could do which says a lot about um, the jealousy that played between us at that age like oh um i find this hilarious in sketch that cody is a perfect person who can do everything right and that i am this chubby loser who smacks his face into the side of uh cody's jeep or whatever um and then that sort of like applied itself subconsciously, I guess, into our real life situations when girls became like a part of our real life. And, uh, yeah, that's when, uh, that was like this, that's what this next verse is all about, but I'll get there in a second. Um, and then the next chorus is again, where will we go from here? I don't know, but we're on a roll and I'm not afraid. And I, that's for me still t- tried and true to this day. So then the last verse here, um, I decided to strip all of the instrumentation away and leave just the vocal saying huff and the war almost she tore us apart. Um, So yeah, this was, I mean, really only part of this drama that probably I don't even know if Cody uh, knew as much about my little insecurity, jealousy, trauma shit that I was dealing with um, because of, him being successful with girls who were cool girls you know it's not like cody really did anything wrong um there was like huff is uh, the last name of this girl who was for a while very good friends with both of us however the the girlfriend of cody and i think the first stretch of years that i knew cody that was Like this duo, it was like Cody, Cody and her, I I, I guess I can, yeah, I guess I guess Leanna. So like Cody and Leanna were, um, a very cool couple. Um, we did a lot of things together. We went like TPing houses on Halloween together. We all hung out at her family's house a lot. Um, we kind of all developed relationships, um, in, in, in a way, you know, with her little brother and stuff. Of course, Cody with a much more closer relationship with them because he's the boyfriend, um, and that's not where the jealousy comes in, but, um, yeah, there was like this time where I, I think they weren't doing so, uh, this, this part's foggy for me, honestly, I think towards the end of their relationship, they weren't doing so well. And I don't know if Cody and I were having a fight or if we just had a dip in things because naturally, um, with Cody, uh, like there was a time at Top Shelf where Lee, so Leanna and I, okay, I have to start somewhere. Leanna and I hung out a lot on our own as well. And I maybe gave myself the impression that Cody didn't like this, or but maybe he didn't. And I understand, um, if he didn't, because, um, he could probably read me like a book and inside, of course I had a crush on Leanna. Now I never did anything um, with Leanna and I never, um, crossed any lines and I never told her anything like that. Like, and I mean, maybe it was obvious, um, by sometimes how I looked at her or something, I don't know, but I never, you know, sat in the car alone and was like, you can do so much better than that hopper boy. You know, I never, I never like stabbed him in the back or anything with that as far as I can remember, but I, I don't think so. Um, but like, I, I, I don't know. I, I'm sure I wasn't very smooth or anything, but uh, we hung out alone a lot and there was a time where we were hanging out together and she had told me um, that her, her and Cody had started like, you know, going to the next level uh, physically in their relationship. And I remember I got so jealous. I took a Jones soda bottle and I threw it down the street and then I got so mad because the bottle didn't shatter. It just bounced three times and went into a bush. How disappointing is that? You want to get that nice, like, but it was like, like into a bush. I was like, I can't even break glass. Uh, And so that was like these first little seedlings of jealousy. And then we get into um, where they're not doing so well. I don't know exactly the story, if it was like good until it wasn't, or if it was a slow decline. I cannot remember, honestly. Um, but there was a time where I was hanging out with her a lot, and they were not doing so well, and of course, part of me was like, well, maybe she'll date me next. Um, but that was never gonna happen. That was never on the table, you know, And I think there was this little there was this little weird thing between me and Cody about her in the way that I was such a douche <laughs> about um maybe hoping that would be the case. Instead of just trying to stay more in the middle and say, well, look, whatever happens here, you guys are both great and I'm just your friend and I'll support whoever's being hurt by the, you know, whatever. Like I'll support you both. I didn't, I was like, Oh, maybe if they break up, Cody will find someone else. Cause he's so good looking and I'll get, maybe Leanna will see in me what I see in me with her. You know what I mean? So it was just this naive teenage crap. It's just teenage crap. And I'm sure I'm painting a much blurrier picture of this than Cody remembers. And uh, I'm I'm sure I'm not getting some things right here, but, um, that was the general gist was just like, this thing about Leanna was, uh, caused a bit of a rift between us, but only for a short time. And what's funny is I should have even, well, like in Shannon's song, I talk about how this jealousy between, uh, uh, my jealousy again, of Cody with a girl friend of mine, Shannon, It's the same problem to the extent where I stayed up all night, fell asleep driving my car and almost died. You know what I mean? Like, How far was I willing to go to drive a wedge between Cody and women? Like, That was never gonna be successful. I should have learned how to accept myself and to love myself, but it took a long time. It took many more years. It took until college before I finally just naturally shed a good bit of weight uh, I think I, I was a freshman or sophomore in college and I, I lost, I don't know, like 20 pounds or something crazy. And that's when I felt, I, 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 maybe it was connected to that, but it was also just like, I felt so proud and okay with being me. Like I had all these friends and I don't know, it was a different world. It's like, I don't know. I don't know why. I don't specifically know why, but it was just like, I had a lot more people who, um, wanted to surround themselves around me um and i didn't have that in mississippi i had of course i had my core group like ride or die like cody and todd and shannon in them but it, something something different just happened you know what i mean i don't know it's hard to explain maybe you know what i mean but i didn't love myself at the time and that's what the problem was that's what the problem was always between if it was cody with girls is because i didn't love myself Um, and that is always usually the issue is the person who's jealous or or full of hate or angry or something is because they know that they don't have a chance here. Um, and they should learn how to get their own, um, get themselves in gear and get their own girlfriend. You know what I mean? Or just be happy for their friend. Like, Oh, that's awesome, man. Like good for you. But instead I was like, Oh, why is he doing this to me? So that's the general story of like Huff and the war almost, she tore us apart. Although she could never really tear us apart. Come on. Uh, My fault than yours, the weight secrets bore on our hearts. I'm particularly happy with that line. I really like the weight secrets bore on our hearts. Um, And that's all tied into that. You know, huff and the war, almost she tore us apart. My fault than yours, the weight secrets bore on our hearts. Um, Again, really just what I wanted was a very cool rhyme scheme here, the way the thing's dance on the tongue the way they snake around each other the way they bounce and the way they link up was very important to me and also having the the emphasis like um on this uh huff in the war like this isolated vocal and then slamming back with the band um what people might notice is that on that final verse the song changes from a three four rhythm like one dot dot ta. Into four, four, like cat, cat. Um, we did that on purpose in the studio to give a super amount of weight, literal weight, to the lyric. Um, so, for example, it's like, and then it goes into, huh? in the war ooh poopund it it totally changes beat there maybe it's better if i play it idiot half in the war oh moshita chorus the party right back into uh, 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 right back into three four um yeah and that's basically the track uh lyric wise then that's kind of what that stands for you know cody had another song uh that i never released uh called i think it's called um six blocks or what did i call it um what's the the line is like um Six block stretch downtown And like six blocks I think I'd call it six block stretch I'm not sure But it was a much rougher Cool rock Like dirty indie rock song um, With a cool melody And a fun riff About um, Just like the grittier Sillier Dirtier things we did Like all the the Smoking And like oh drugs And like oh whatever And like warehouse stuff And uh, it's really fun Totally different from this song. This song is like just a a warm, like a very, very deep love letter to this person admitting my own faults and realizing that if we can get through all that stuff and we can get through also the distance between us, that we can get through anything. And so far that's been very true. Um, Since I started breaking down this album song by song on the podcast, I've sort of reignited some conversations with some of the people that these songs are about um i have a text group of course with a handful of the new orleans people naturally um but also i have a group with cody and todd and i've been also talking in uh to shannon which has been really nice you know I, when i covered her episode i thought it was very fair to tell her this is about you and if there's anything i should correct you should you know tell me and i did and then you know this one to be about cody um uh, and I know they've been listening, and that's really, um, really cool for me to feel that like we're somehow back all in the same room, watching the same movie, or like having the same experience in a way. Because these days it's very hard to do that, uh, to stay in. It's hard to stay in touch. You have to make an effort, and uh, thankfully, these people are making an effort um, based around this album, and that really means a lot to me. Um, yeah. Wasting our time, Shannon. I love this song. It's like a churchy, gospel love letter to Cody Hopper. Um, very proud of him. I'm so proud of him, what he's doing these days. You know, he always wanted to work in entertainment, uh, the same as me. And we ended up doing pretty different things in it, which is kind of cool. I always thought Cody would be like a, an actor um, or a writer. Um, and... Now that I think about it, it makes a lot more sense that he's doing what he's doing, which is he does stand up comedy. So he is writing jokes and he is performing under the spotlight, but under his own terms. you know what I mean? And he is a really, really funny guy. Um, and then also working on film sets, but not in front of the camera. He's kind of, you know, the the reliable gear guy, uh, most of the time. like he worked as a really reliable, consistent stand in on, um, you know, Ozark, which was an amazing show. And he's worked on so many things like the Spider-Man movies. And, um, I'm so sorry, Cody, that I'm forgetting all the projects you've worked on right now, but he's worked on a lot of major Hollywood projects, uh, over in Atlanta. And that's just so cool. And he's on a project now and, you know, he's working the hard hours and, and, and you know, making decent money and hopefully he can save up enough, uh to come visit over here in germany sometime i would love that anybody who these songs are about i would love to happily host um we've got room for you it would just be a just be a flight for you my friend um okay so now we can get into what and i hate to say it this way i really do but i think that this is uh the next song Number number 11. I think it's my least favorite song on the album. <sighs> like, even lyrically, I'm just not very happy with this. I think... I know that I wrote it on an acoustic guitar, as I usually do. That's how everything starts off. It started off on an acoustic guitar, and it was supposed to have a different feeling than it does on the record. Again, there's some stories, some songs from this recording where I took too much influence, I think, from the people around me uh, that later I'd stopped working with even, you know what I mean? Um, There's some people who really support and help give fresh ideas to what you're thinking and totally accept if it's not what you're feeling and then there's some people who believe with all their heart that that's the right thing to do and hey let's do it hey we're already doing it you know what I mean and in this song there was a lot of me being surrounded by the a few people in that studio who took the lead on some things and I just thought maybe they know best and just went with it but that's not the entire reason why the song isn't great the song isn't great because it's not a great song Like, it's not a really well-written song. The lyrics aren't as great in retrospect. There's some nice things. We'll get into it. Um, it And then just production, I don't know. Let's see here. So the song is about, sadly, the only person on the album who isn't even a friend of mine anymore. Isn't that sad? And over the dumbest things, um, I found out later. So this is about my friend Ian. Ian. And Ian was a sound guy for television and film in New Orleans when the scene was super hot there. And he's a recording engineer and producer. And he had his own studio and he was super nice, very intelligent. I thought he was like good looking, um, oddly vulnerable, oddly sensitive, not oddly in the way that it throws you off, but like you don't expect it until you get to know him and then you feel so welcomed and he's so compliment he can be so complimentary and also he's so passionate about conspiracy theories and like there being like a bigger larger um mind at work sort of pulling the strings on everything and i I like this combination like very smart very technical guy Um, but also he like smoked a lot of weed he loves sushi (laughs) his parents were buddhists and he believed in aliens like to no end and it's just an interesting person And when I first uh, visited back from Germany and visited New Orleans, like my very first visit back, he was the guy who like picked me up from the airport, drove me wherever I needed to go, asked me every day if I needed a ride, made a lot of effort. You know, like this was just like a good friend. He produced my uh, 2015 or 16 EP Jordan Prince Band, uh, which I stupidly released on its own Spotify and not just on my Spotify, very stupid. So Jordan Prince band, you can go listen to old songs like She's the Queen or Lie About Your Love. Lie About Your Love is actually the title track for this podcast, but we had my friend Tom Yanks remix it. Um, So this guitar, this bling, bling, that's actually from a song that Ian Painter mixed, uh, the original one. So anyway, old time Like all time listeners of this podcast will remember the original theme song. And that was from that EP. Um, So Ian, yeah, all these things, great guy, good friend, nice, nice relationship. And then it seems that around 2018, 2019, I want to say, he just really changed. Like it wasn't just me, I found out, which I'm kind of glad for, but he dropped basically his whole circle. He left the industry. He went to go be a real estate agent. He moved. He sold his stuff. Like he's in a totally different world mentally. I don't even know what he looks like anymore. I don't even I think he's on LinkedIn or something. But he dropped everything. His socials has never changed. His friendships canceled, dropped, kicked everybody out. Um he had a pristine studio in this like awesome film warehouse uh that was like half green screen studio sound booth like it was like the you know many many thousands and thousands and thousands and thousands of worth of gear studio like you could shoot a movie there or like an amazing music videos and he had his own booth in there and like i don't know it's all gone it's all over with and uh, it's, it's kind of sad to see that end of, of that era um and i only hear things about him through gossip i don't even know what's actually true i just know that he is a real estate agent but um that's the most consistent thing that everyone says but so this was the original lyrics for this song Uh, and well i'll finish that other story first which is that um yeah at some point everything ended um i thought that he stopped being my friend over a strange misunderstanding i i asked him to buy um i mean at the time of of our falling out i was vaping tobacco and there was a particular machine from America they didn't have in Germany and in New Orleans at the smoke shops you could get the flavors there for that machine and I liked it and I wanted him to mail me some and I would pay him for it so he bought me like a whole like a second machine and a bunch of the of of the pods just so we would always it would always be working and always be full and he put it in the in the mail and like a month later it got stopped at customs I had to go out like over an hour to the edge of Germany and g- go to this customs office. And Ian, unfortunately, labeled everything correctly, which that's who he is. You know, he was like, oh, of course, man, you're going to put it in there exactly as they want you to put it. Um, but he labeled everything as like, you know, lithium batteries, because it was, you know, electronic, it was electronic device. Um, But it was a vape with no batteries in it. So basically it's plastic and some liquid, but everything was super, super wrapped. And he could have just not put that label on there because it isn't dangerous, but you know, whatever. So I'm at the customs office. I'm holding the box in my hand. I'm not allowed to take it. They take it back from me. They ship it back to Ian. And I'm so frustrated and so disappointed. He put all that money into it, all that time, all that effort. I waited forever. It it traveled all the way out there. Nothing. Nothing goes back to Ian another month later and I say, okay, look, I know my friend Matt and I know this guy and I know this person. I know they, they vape the same machines instead of me paying you, whatever it was like 200 bucks for something I cannot have. Why don't you, or I can, I can text these guys and say, Hey, do you want to buy any of these pod, these flavor pods and stuff from Ian from you uh, at a discount price? on behalf of me. They can stop by your house, pick up like 20 pods or 10 pods, pay you half the price or 75% of the price, and then you get a lot of that money back yourself, and then I pay out the dividend. I pay out the difference. That way, I can pay you for your effort and for the trouble, but I don't have to spend all the money on all the stuff and not get it. I don't know about you out there, but I think that makes a lot of sense. I think that sounds totally fair. I'll make the effort to communicate with the people. I'll make the effort that they come to you. I'll make the effort that they spend, uh, that it's less uh, price for them so that they have initiative to buy more. They get it off of your hands. They give you the money and then I pay the difference. So in the end, you still get everything back that you paid for. Uh, plus shipping and i don't have to pay you know whatever 200 plus dollars which sometimes that happens with big packages well at first it sounded like it was going to work i got in touch with my friend matt and I said hey go 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 to ian's make sure to get a bunch of these pods just buy them you know whatever um and so i and then i never heard from ian again like full stop I wrote Ian like a month after that and said, hey, did Matt ever come by? Did so-and-so ever come by? Have you heard from them? Because I was going to follow up and make sure that it happens because New Orleans is full of a lot of people that say they're going to do things and then they never do them. And he never got back to me. And I said, hey, it's been another month. I just want to make sure we're cool. Let me know, please, if anyone is coming by and helping get these things from you. If they're not buying them, please tell me because I want to make sure you get your money back. Like I'm being very clear, if they are not buying it, I will give you the money. You still spent the money. You still don't want this stuff. And it's because of me. So if they don't buy it and help share the load of the cost, of course, it's not my first choice, but I will make sure you get your money back. And he still never responded. And I never heard back from him again, ever. And it has been years now. And that was where I started going home and talking to friends. I was like, "Where's Ian? What's going on with him?" I wrote a song about this guy, and he just disappeared out of my life. And they're like, "Yeah, he's a, you know, real estate agent. And he dipped all of his friends. He disappeared." They're like, "He he does this. You know, sometimes he just does this." So it's crazy, right? So sad, man. Like over that, over like it wasn't even like a thousand bucks. It was like two hundred bucks, and I just wanted to see if someone could. <laughs> you know, buy a hundred bucks worth of these products first. So he gets a hundred from them and I give him a hundred instead of me paying him 200 for things that I don't get to use at all or have, you know, I was just like, why, why can't it be this way? Um, maybe I'm wrong. I don't know. I think that's really a normal thing to try and negotiate with your friend. Um, because you always say, if it doesn't work, tell me and I'll make it good for you, but whatever maybe it wasn't about that deal at all in the end, but this is what the song is about. The song is about, um, basically it's, it's kind of a UFO conspiracy haunted house thing. Um, it's, it's basically like saying your conspiracies are true. I'm seeing what you're seeing and I'm waiting for us to be basically taken by the aliens. It's just a, it's just that simple so it says take a look up at the sky just what is it that you see do you find yourself wondering just what's hidden underneath and then the chorus oh i'm waiting on a great big light to lift us up into the night which i like the idea of this cryptic ufo image of the beam from the sky sucking you up into the clouds and like, you know, I don't know if you saw this movie, Nope, but the first, I don't know, 40 minutes are great. <laughs> I think before like the big monster reveal sort of, but like, um, the first 30 or 40 minutes are great where you just have this like distant screaming in the sky and you have this shadow that moves and everything's very cryptic and sort of hidden and secretive. And I love that. Um, so this was kind of that feeling I was going for. And then the next one is, uh, are you seeing that there, Uh, well, this is like I said, like, are you seeing that there portrait move? Which is funny that I put that in there, but are you seeing that portrait move? All the eyes follow down the hall. Of all the things that we'll never know, do you see what path we're on? So it's almost saying like, are you seeing the lights in the sky? Are you seeing the portraits, eyes move in the hall? Like, there's so many things we don't know. Do you think we're learning the right things, going down the right path? Like, it's questioning also. Are you are you sure that th- this is the right thing to focus on? Should we really be taught, like, should we really focus on if JFK is still alive? Should we really focus on if aliens are um, in our universe? Should we really be focusing on, you know... Bigfoot or Loch Ness, like it's also it's questioning these things. Like I'm, I'm starting to obsess. I'm going down the wormhole with you. Like should we be doing this? Is this right? Are we seeing the things in the sky actually? And then the last line, of course, again after the bridge is, uh, I'm waiting on a great big light to lift us up into the night. And the song is actually really fun. Like it's a conspiracy theory haunted house sort of song, and the it it has a sort of a fun rock riff to it. Um, Let's get into it. Here, oh, maybe I'll skip the intro. Intro the already hate it, already hate it, already hate it. I hate the vocal melody, I hate how whiny I sound. Hate it. Let me get to the part I like. Here we go. Love that synthesizer arpeggiator that Vivi put in there. This like you actually are being sucked up into the sky, and then there's this crazy bridge. That's Vivi deep in the back, like yeah. I love those melodies that she comes up with. I love those melodies that she comes up with. That's actually in in the Lakeshore Drive interlude. That's one of the things that she says that she loves about our relationship is that she has this memory of building a melody in our band, Big Lemois and looking at me and I whispered like, I love it. I love it. Because I often do. She has unbelievably beautiful melodies in her brain. Um... Yeah, so this song, you know, has a few moments, like, this, like, sort of, I was going for a, oddly enough, I was going for a Bell and Sebastian track. What's a good Bell and Sebastian? I think, like, was it Books? No, not Booksmart. Um, There's a Bell and Sebastian song I was trying to emulate here. What's the album? Um, Forgive me here for a second. Come on. Was it, um, not Boy with the Arab Strap? No, 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 not this one, not this one, not this one, not this one, not this one. I'm so sorry. This is, this must be so annoying. Was it Third Eye Center? Oh, yeah, it was Third Eye Center. I th- I'm pretty sure. Um, no, wait, that's not true either. That just had, that just had a great song on it, but it wasn't what I was going for. It must be Dear Catastrophe Waitress. I think that's the album. Why is it so difficult? God, here we go. Okay, Spotify changed everything. It's so hard to get to the album. Yes, it's 2003's Dear Catastrophe Waitress. I was trying to copy Um, probably... Was it this song? Not copy, but... And you can you can hear a similarity, this doom doom, doom 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 doom. Wrapped up in books is an amazing song from that album, and I just tried I was trying to go for that sound. That's the sound I was going for. Uh, did it work? No Are there little moments? Maybe. Were they original ideas of yours that you're so proud of? No some of the best ideas in that song are Vivi's ideas and this I have to say and I this may seem slightly controversial but like this main bass riff the intro of the song I gotta say it it has not grown well on me um at the beginning, when I first heard it, I thought, ooh, that's melodic, it's interesting, it's this, like, under lick, under the vocal melody that you can hum along with. <laughs> but I don't think this song is fast enough for that melody to work. And in fact, the way that it goes, like, like, three, four, <laughs> you know, this, do 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 it almost feels like it's putting a hand in your chest. Doo, doo, don't go, you know, and it slows, the. it just stops the beat for me. And I've only noticed that as time has gone on. Um, so it's like the main hook of the whole track, but yeah. So, you know, instrumentation, not my favorite lyrics, not my favorite. It's about somebody who, you know, gave up being a, a friend, um, you know, over nothing uh pretty quickly and with no resolution at all and so it's not you know the happiest ending but i'm gonna have to wrap things up there unfortunately the good news is on the next episode uh i'm gonna talk about uh two two uh, very important songs to me as important as where will we go from here which is um eye to eye about VV. Which would be a very in-depth story, and far too thin. Which is, of course, about um, the one and only amazing Todd Gurley, the father of Top Shelf Records. So don't go anywhere, guys. Listen, if you enjoyed today's show, please make sure in the in the show notes there are our social media channels: TikTok, Instagram, YouTube. Please go follow us. Tell a friend about this show. Even just word of mouth, or you know, sharing a link or something via text it helps us so much. I really want to try and grow this artsy fartsy family. So please, if you enjoy this if you like listening to this show just share it one way or another or make a comment or a rating or a review on apple podcasts it really helps the algorithm and helps new listeners find this show it really means a lot so please go do that if you enjoyed it thanks so much for listening guys i hate to wrap it up on the sour note but i love you so much thank you for listening we're going to have a great one the next episode much love to cody hopper that one's for you be here next week Bye bye <laughs> Farsi Farsi Immigrants, ein Podcast von John Prince und Moritz Bartscheider, produziert für M945.